turn with me, if you would, for a short time this morning, as the Lord will enable us to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, and the words that we have in verse 23. And when, the, when he was entered into a ship, the disciples followed him. When he was entered into a ship, the disciples followed him. <clears throat> there is not one of us, I'm sure, here today that will know what tomorrow brings for us. Especially in a day when we are in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and things in the world just now are so changing. Who knows what tomorrow will bring? But that's not only true with regards to the church. It is true with regards to the individual Christian. We don't know what a day will bring. Reminded of Benjamin and his brothers leaving Egypt with their corn sacks filled to the brim. A lovely sunny day. Everything is going well. They're going home to their father. When the prime minister, if you like, of Egypt's golden cup is a missing and it's found in Benjamin's sack. And that day when everything is going so well, all of a sudden changes and everything is so dark. My friend, is that not very often the experience of God's people? Who would have known these disciples that day that they would end up in a storm? They didn't know what that day was going to bring. And we want to look at this account this morning, as the Lord will enable us, to take encouragement from this account of the disciples in this boat in the storm. And we want to look at five things. And these five things equate to the five verses of the account. And you find it, there are five verses from verse 23 down to uh, 28. The five verses there, there are five different points that we want to take out of that. It's, it's the opening words of each of the verses. The first is, when he was entered into a ship. That's the first point, and that's verse 23. When he was, he was entered into a ship. Secondly, there arose a storm. That's verse 24, the beginning of verse 24. There arose a storm. Thirdly, his disciples came to him. That's verse 25. His disciples came to him. Verse 26, he said unto them. And then 27, the men marveled. Five points. The beginning of each of these verses, so that you perhaps will remember these points. Let's go to the first point. And you find that. In verse 23, when he was entered into a ship, when he was entered into a ship. Now, you might wonder here where there is the, the great encouragement. Well, there is an encouragement here in that Jesus intimated to them beforehand that they were going to enter into the ship. You find that in verse 18. 
Now, when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart into the other side. Jesus intimated to them beforehand that they were going to cross over the Sea of Galilee. They were given forewarning that they were going out into the sea. And my friend, is that not the case with every Christian who follows the Lord Jesus Christ? He gives us forewarning that when we follow him, we will have tribulation. We will not be exempt from the trials and tribulations and the storms that affect other people. But in fact, not only will we be subject to them, we will have them for following the Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, we are to pick up our cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And he forewarns us beforehand that when we do, we will have tribulation and troubles and trials. The sort of health and wealth gospel that is proclaimed today is a false gospel. The Bible never tells you that if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have health, you will have wealth, and you will have no problems. My friend, you will have problems. You will have troubles. You will have trials. You will have things that will come your way that will be difficult. You will end up in storms. But there's a second thing that Jesus does here. He doesn't only intimate that they were going to go out into the sea. He warns them that anyone who will go out onto that boat with him had better be prepared. Just before Jesus enters the ship, two men approach the Lord Jesus Christ. One of them is a scribe. And the scribe came to him in verse 19 and said, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Isn't that wonderful? Wherever you go, I will follow you. I'll be there. And it doesn't matter where you go. Look at what Jesus answers him. The foxes, the, the, the foxes of holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. In other words, He's telling this man, if you are going to follow me, you better count the cost. Because there is a cost in following the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of what the Lord Jesus Christ had. He had nothing. The foxes have somewhere to, to, to live. The birds of the air have somewhere to go. But Jesus has nowhere and he says to this man, before you say you're going to follow me, you better count the cost of what it is to follow Jesus Christ. And my friend, what Jesus says to that scribe, he says to you and me today, if you are going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you better count the cost. But then another man comes and says to him, you get that in verse 21. Another disciple said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. He's a man that wants to go and bury his father. Jesus says to him, let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. In other words, if you are going to follow me, 
Don't you put anything else in the way of that. If you're going to follow me, then you're going to follow onto that boat and you better make sure that nothing comes in the way of your following the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, is there anything in the way today that you're putting before the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus says, follow me, let the dead bury the dead. In other words, Jesus is not only intimating that they are going to go out into the water, he is telling anyone who will follow him, count the cost and have nothing else in the way. You let even the dead bury their dead. You come and follow me. But you see, even as we see Jesus getting going here, and as you see them getting onto that boat, there is an encouragement. There is a wonderful encouragement here. You might think, here is the Lord discouraging. But my friend, here is the glorious encouragement. You get it in our verse. When he was entered into the ship. He was going before his disciples. He was going ahead of the disciples. The disciples were following him because he was going to get into that ship before them. Not wonderful. We come to the Lord Jesus. We get onto that boat today. We go out into that water today. We go out into the storms today. We are following the Lord Jesus Christ. He has been there before you. We have a great high priest who was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. The Lord Jesus Christ has been there before you. He's even been in the grave before you. You will leave this world. You will die. You will be, your remains will be placed into the grave. Jesus Christ has been there before you. He's been there. He's occupied the grave. So they're following the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful encouragement, surely, to of us today. That if we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and in following the Lord Jesus Christ, we end up in the storms. We end up in, in, in the storms of, that, that come because of that. Jesus has gone before us. And my friend, if you don't want to end up in the storm, stay in the land. Go today and become an atheist. Go today and succumb to the, the political correctness of the world. Go today and become just like all the, 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 the many that are in this land. They don't follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Go and become a papist. Go and become a Muslim. Go and become one of these false religions. And my friend, if you're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you will end up out in that boat in the storm with the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is there before you. But not only is he there before them, he's in the midst of the storm with them. There he is. He's sleeping in the boat, but he's with them. My friend, whatever trials or tribulations you may come across in this world, you're one of God's people. He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Never. I will be with you 
even in the storm. I took a funeral recently of one of our highly respected elders, one of the highly respected elders of our denomination. And I took the text of Job. I know my Redeemer liveth. That elder had gone through difficult times in his life. He had lost his brother. His brother had been murdered. In this world, his brother could be taken from him. He could go through trials, but you know what he could say at the end of it? There's one thing that could not be taken, even from Job, and all the difficulties he went through. He was able to say, I know my Redeemer liveth. I know my Redeemer liveth. Jesus is with them in the midst of the storm. He has gone before them, and there he is with them. And that surely is the first encouragement that we get this, evening, this, this morning. I am with you. He is with us by his word and by his spirit. My friend, when, when the trials of life come, when the storms of life come, when you come to God's word and you read the word, do you ever find there there's a, the balm of Gilead? A wonderful word for the soul. But then there's the second thing. That's the first point. He entered, when he entered the ship, they followed. And behold, there arose a great storm. How can you take encouragement out of a great storm? You imagine being in the Sea of Galilee, and it was notorious for these uh, winds arising up, and, and here were they, they were out in this boat in the midst of a great storm. The waves were almost covering over the boat. They were in fear of their lives. My friend, have you ever experienced spiritual storms? Spiritual difficulties, where you feel as though you're going to sink under it all. There you are, out there they are, uh, 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 and they're out there in the midst of that storm. Let me ask you this question. Do you not think that Jesus knew the weather? Do you not think that Jesus knew the weather forecast? The one who was able to tell the woman at the well all things that ever she did. The one who was able to know the very hearts of men. Do you not think that the one who was able to speak to even these devils that were there in the gatherings that we saw, we know who thou art. <coughs> Do you not think this Jesus didn't know the weather forecast? That he could have walked round instead of going over the sea? My friend, he knew exactly what was going on. He knew exactly what was going to happen. It may have appeared just because he was sleeping in the, in the ship that he somehow didn't know what the weather forecast was going to be. But my friend, he did. And what you discover is that there is a glorious purpose in all of this. There is a divine purpose in it all. The first is that he would test their faith. 
You see that later on when he speaks to them. There's a test of their faith. My friend, when the difficulties and the trials of this life come along, there's a test of our faith. We are in the midst, even today, the church today tossed about because of the unbelief, because of the ungodliness, because of the immorality of our day. The church is tossed about in a storm. And God is saying to us, where's your faith? Do you trust in the Lord? And when you have difficulties that come in your own life, trials that come in your own life, the Lord is saying, it's a taste of your faith. You see, there's a wonderful purpose, even in the storm. But it's not just that there would be a trial of their faith. It's that there would, they would see the divine glory in it all. They would see the glory of Jesus Christ. They would see something of the Lord Jesus Christ, whereby that even the men on the ship would marvel. They would, they would, they would, they would, there would be a test of their faith, and they would see his glory in the midst of it. My friend, is that not so often a, a great encouragement to us? Is there not a great encouragement to us that when when we go through these storms, when the believer goes through these storms, that there is a divine purpose behind it. There's a divine purpose behind all things. Nothing in this world falls out because of mere accident. You know, things just happen from a big bang and everything happens and there's no purpose to, it, to anything. There's no purpose to the world. There's no purpose to what happens in the world. My friend, what nonsense. We discover in this boat that there is a wonderful purpose. That their faith would be tried and ultimately they would see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That they would come to trust in him all the more. When we are weak, then are we strong. When we realize that we can do nothing, then are we strong. Because we see something of the glory of Christ in the midst of the storm. When he was entered, there arose a storm. So there's even a, 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 an encouragement in the midst of this storm. The very fact that the storm comes, there's a purpose that God has. There's a purpose that Jesus has in even the storm arising at this very time. But then you see the third encouragement. And <clears throat> you see that in verse 25, his disciples came to him. Jesus is asleep in the boat. Sound asleep. My friend, do you, do you read of Jesus asleep? You don't really read of Jesus being asleep. You read of Jesus being up all night praying. You read of Jesus in the middle of the night dealing with Nicodemus. Here you find him asleep. And what does that tell you? That tells you that he is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. 
It tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of the storm is one who is, who is one with his people. He's not some God that is far off. He's not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Because we are reminded here that he is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. He is truly man. Remember how, how the Jews would come to Paul and say, our religion's a better religion than your religion. See the Christian religion. It's nothing in comparison to our religion. Because we have a priest. We have a high priest. How does Paul counter that? Paul counters that by saying, yes, but we have a great high priest. We have a great high priest who has entered through the veil. One who is born of our bone and flesh of our flesh. One who knew what it was to be tired and to fall asleep in the boat. My friend, do you, do you rejoice today that your saviour, your, your friend, your elder brother, if you're a Christian here today, your elder brother fell asleep in the boat because he knew what it was and he knows what it is to be born of our bone and flesh of our flesh. <coughs> and they were able to come to him. To whom were they going to go? Who were they going to go to? They were at an end of themselves. They were at their extremity. And there was nowhere else to go but to the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friend, is that not what the church needs today? The church really needs today to be brought to an end of itself and to recognize that it can't save itself. But it needs to cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a place to which the church may come, and that is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friend today, you are someone that's in here God pray that you are brought to an end of yourself because of your sin. You've been brought to realize that you're a hell-deserving sinner and that you're on your way to a lost eternity. <coughs> As Jesus said earlier on, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. You're on your way to hell. What are you going to do about it? There's nothing you can do about it. But there is a place and a person to whom you can go. Even Jesus Christ the Lord. Even the way these disciples in the midst of the storm, they came to Jesus and they woke him. Save us. Lord, save us. We perish. Oh, what a day it would be to hear sinners crying out. That it would be, to be crying out, Lord, save us. We perish. To crying out in, in, in their helplessness. My friend, here's the encouragement to God's people. That in the midst of the, your extremity, in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of the storm, and when you have no one else to go to, don't turn to some earthly priest. Don't go to some confessional. Don't do some penance. 
Don't be deceived by the, de the deception of the devil. Come to Jesus Christ. He's the one you turn to. He's the one the disciples turned to. They could turn to no one else. They could speak among themselves. They're experienced fishermen. But even in all their experience, they were brought to their extremity. My friend, you might be an experienced Christian this evening or this morning. You might be an experienced Christian. A Christian that's been on the road for a long time. Just as these fishermen were experienced fishermen. But at the end of the day, for all their experience, they still had to turn to Jesus Christ. And what do they find? What is the sinner? What do you find? You find that in Jesus Christ, there is every single thing that you need to save you. There is a throne of grace. And everything that you require for salvation, everything you require to be saved, you will find in him. That's what they discovered. So when he was entered the ship, secondly, there arose a great storm, a tempest. There's a divine purpose in it. The disciples came to him. They had a place to which they would go. But there's the fourth thing. He said unto them. He said unto them. <clears throat> Isn't that wonderful? Remember the centurion earlier on in the chapter. When the Lord spoke to the centurion. And the centurion said, you don't need to come to my house. Don't come to my home. You don't need to come to my home. Just say the word. Just literally utter the truth. And that's all that will be needed. And Jesus said, what great faith. What great faith. And Jesus answered that great faith just like that. Now you come to the disciples. And they have faith. They have faith enough to waken him. But they don't have faith enough to trust that everything was going to be all right. What does he say to them? Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. They came to Jesus. They woke him up. They're crying out, save us. We're going to perish. What kind of faith did they have? They had little faith. My friend, how often do you look at yourself and say to yourself, how little faith I really have. How little faith I have. All too often, it's the case of, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. What we say, the way we act, the things we do, it's saying, yes, I believe, but my faith is so little. My friend, is that not very often what we have to say? We have to admit our faith is so small. But 
Jesus answered, little faith. Jesus answered, little faith. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus answered the prayer of the centurion. Immediately, that centurion servant was healed. Jesus answered great faith. And now these disciples have little faith. Jesus says to them, I'm not answering little faith. I don't, I don't deal with little faith. I only deal with great faith. No, he doesn't. He answers little faith. My friend, is that not an encouragement for you to take? That the Lord doesn't commend them for their little faith. He doesn't commend them for having that little faith, but he still answers it, my friend. And that, that's the greatest encouragement of all, isn't it? You might be here today and you might think to yourself, well, I see other people. I see a minister in the pulpit. What great faith he's got, my friend. Don't be deceived. Don't let that deceive you. Minister in the pulpit has little faith as well. We'll profess to that. But I see these elders and I see deacons and they've got such great faith. I see other people and they've got great faith. And then I look at myself and I say, how little faith I've got. My friend, that might be true. But Jesus answered little faith. He answered the little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. It's almost as though he's not commending them, but he's saying to them, oh, why have you got such little faith? But I'll answer it anyway. He answered. He rose, we are told. He didn't wait any longer. He arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea. The word rebuke there in the Hebrew, in, in, in the Greek, sorry, is the same word that's used later on to rebuke Peter. He rebukes Peter. It's the same word that he uses to rebuke the devils. He rebuked them. He cast them away. The devils came in. He rebuked the devils. He re the evil spirits. He rebuked Peter. And now he rebukes the winds and the sea. Why is he rebuking the winds and the sea? How dare the winds and the sea ever frighten his people? How dare it's as though he stands up before the winds and the sea. Peace. How dare you frighten my, my church. He rebukes the wind and the sea. My friend, if the Lord Jesus stands and rebukes the winds and the sea, what will he do to those who touch the apple of his eye? Such a love as the Lord Jesus Christ for his own people that woe betide anyone that touches the apple of his eye. He loves his disciples so much that even the winds and the sea will be rebuked by him. Peace. Do not frighten my disciples. Do not frighten my disciples again. The world thinks that it can do so much, doesn't it? The world thinks that it can put the church down. The world, the world thinks it can close your mouth. 
The world thinks that it can, it can, it can, and it can frighten God's people. My friend, we have nothing to be frightened of. We have nothing to be afraid of. When the Lord Jesus Christ will rebuke the winds and the sea, because the winds and the sea frighten his people, my friend, we have nothing to be afraid of. What an encouragement that Jesus will defend even little faith. Even at the voice of little faith, he will rebuke the winds and the sea. And then the fifth point. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? What miracles the Lord performed, even in this one chapter. You go back to some of the great men in the Old Testament. <clears throat> there may be one raised from the dead, and then there's nothing heard for years. An odd thing here or there. An axe head lifted out of the water. Very, very, very few occasions. We, we read it and you think they're all going about doing miracles or not. Very rarely, very few miracles performed. But here's a man that even in this chapter alone, a leper comes to him and he's cured. The centurion's servant, he doesn't even go to his house. He's cured. <laughs> Peter's mother-in-law is cured. Even the devils obey him. My friend, what manner of man is this? When Moses parted the Red Sea, he lifted a rod. Didn't he? he used a rod to, to, to part the Red Sea. Elisha, in his miracle, he used a mantle. Joshua, when the walls of Jericho fell down, it was the ark. The ark is circling around. Moses with the rod, Elisha with his mantle, Joshua with the ark. Jesus Christ simply by his word. Nothing else. He simply says the word. And the winds and the sea obey his voice. You see, this is a unique person, isn't it? This is not just someone who falls asleep in the boat because he is born of our bone and flesh of our flesh. This is not just someone who is, who is a man of very man. But this is a person, the second person of the Trinity. That even at his word, even the winds and the sea obey his voice. My friend, what an encouragement that is. And it's not just the disciples. It's the men in the boat. And most of the commentators that you will ever read will tell you that this is not just Peter, James, and John. These are the fishermen. These are the men that are not actually with them as disciples, but are there on the boat. Even the very men that are on the sailors that are on the boat, they marvel at this man. My friend, we, we live in a day when the Lord Jesus Christ is nothing but a swear word. Men see nothing in him. But my friend, if you think of the great work of salvation, 
You think of even one sinner being saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. You think of one sinner that has been brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. My friend, you ought to say to yourself, what manner of man is this that can save such a sinner? Recently, I was in a congregation, one of our own congregations. A young woman, 23 years of age, no Christian background. Not one of her grandparents even went to church. Absolutely no Christian background whatsoever. 23 years of age and she's gloriously converted. She comes and sits at the Lord's table, baptized and sits at the Lord's table with one of our own congregations, one of our table. My friend, and you say to yourself this, what manner of man is this? that will save sinners, that will gather what I can't do, will do what you can't do, what not one of us can do, what an old denomination put together cannot do, which the whole Christian world put together cannot do, Jesus can do in a moment of time. He can save sinners. And my friend, are you able to say that this evening, this morning, yourself? Are you able to say, what manner of man is this that has saved me? A sinful wretch like me. What manner of man is this that's able to pluck me out of the jaws of death and of hell? As a brand plucked from the burning. What manner of man is this? Jesus Christ. That even the men in the boat, they were astounded what he was able to do. They were astounded that even the winds and the sea obeyed his voice. Oh, what a day it would be when men, women and boys and girls on this island, throughout the whole of Scotland, would be able to say, what manner of man is Jesus Christ? What power he has. What glory he accrues to himself as he saves the church out of the storms of this world. Well, my friend, if you're still in the land, and you're not following the Lord Jesus Christ. And you look into some of these storms that the disciples know. But my friend, there's coming a day when you will know a storm. You will know the storm of God's wrath on the day of judgment. But if you are there with Christ and following the Lord Jesus Christ, he has borne that wrath. He will save you out of the storms. He will be with you in the storm. You can come to him in the storm. You can come to him with little faith in the storm. And he will do for you more than you can even ask or think. Because the storm is changed into a calm at his command and will. Let us join together in prayer. Let us pray. Most gracious and ever blessed Lord, we pray that thou would 
Thou would bless us this day with the blessings of the gospel. We pray that thou would undertake for us. And in the rest of this day, bless us, we pray thee, and prepare us for the evening service of worship. We pray that thou would go before each one of us. How we need thine enabling grace. How we need thy restraining grace. How we need, O Lord, thy grace to lead us even in the storms. For we know that thou hast said, I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. We thank thee that the Lord has given encouragement to his people, even in the midst of the storm. Bless us now, part us with thy fear and in thy blessing. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. <laughs>